G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, some significant appreciation of Bible truth today in a new book just released by researcher and historian Kelvin Crombie. Kelvin Crombie is a researcher and historian who lived in Israel for more than 25 years and had a special focus in a number of his books on the Anzacs in the Middle East and Christian involvement in the establishment of the modern state of Israel. Well, Kelvin is back with us today. His home is in Perth, and he has a new book out. And we'll talk about his new book today. And a special welcome to you, Kelvin Crombie. Thank you, Neil. Good to be with you. Kelvin, tell us about your new book, because it's called Israel... Jesus and Covenants. Uh, There's also an accompanying new DVD documentary called October 31, Destiny's Date. And we'll put the DVD aside for now, but when we focus on your new book, Israel, Jesus and Covenants, what's it all about? Uh, First of all, Neil, it's actually um, Israel, Jesus and Covenant, just the principle, the general principle of covenant. Um, It's basically writing on the back of a couple of well, one main publication from several years ago called In Covenant with Jesus. Um, But there's been, I've added quite a few chapters and done a little bit of um, editing on it. And also the Kurong Bookshop um, showed an interest in in a new version. And so that's why we've gone with um, a sort of a broader version at the moment called Israel, Jesus and Covenant to show how the foundation of our own faith and our own relationship with Jesus is based upon the principle of covenant and also how the existence of the modern state of Israel in the land of Israel in the Middle East is also based upon the principle of covenant. So I guess it's important for us as Christians to know as much as possible about the principles of covenant, not just the fact that there is a new covenant as a covenant with Abraham and covenant with David and mosaic covenant i think it's important for us to comprehend uh, the principles of covenant and more so the principles of the oath uh, by which a covenant was sealed okay sometimes when we talk about the bible we say old testament new testament and uh, people say that there is this alignment with old covenant new covenant when we use that word covenant we're really talking about Uh, in one sense, a legal agreement. Uh, And so what we have is a legal binding agreement, but this time uh, it involves God. Is that the way you're writing about it? It's entirely. Um, We have to understand the concept of the legality of a covenant that in antiquity, if somebody wanted to establish a relationship or a formal agreement with somebody else, in those days it wouldn't go down to the lawyer's office as we would today. In those days, you could either uh, do something at the the city gate, exchange a sandal or something of that effect, but more so if it was a a major uh, event or a major agreement, then there would be what we call the cutting of the covenant. So that was, in those days, a legal binding agreement, especially when it was sealed with the oath. 
And it wasn't just a biblical aspect, Neil. We find it written in the scriptures, for sure. However, in antiquity, all the way through that entire region of the Near East, or the Middle East as we call it today, over a huge period of time, you have what we call suzerainty treaties. And the archaeologists have uncovered literally hundreds of these treaties and have actually deciphered them from the ancient languages. And there's a commonality, a common thread between all these ancient suzerainty treaties, um, which shows there's a lot of uniformity. And a lot of that uniformity actually aligns itself with what we find written in the scriptures about the covenants. So we seem to be drawing from some sort of original source, in a sense, here about um, these ancient agreements or covenants that we find in the scripture. Kelvin, I'm always fascinated to talk about covenants, especially Old Testament, where we can reflect on, and you mentioned the words cutting a covenant. And that has a whole lot of deeper meaning because in the cutting of a covenant and thinking back to Abraham and and uh, the killing of a bull, as I understand it, and uh, separating part of the bull one side, part of the bull the other, and there's, uh, there's fire and there's smoke and uh, there's the shedding of the blood. And how do you understand that cutting of the covenant? And in fact, it's in some ways a little bit gruesome sounding, but it's deep and meaningful for us when we understand what that does. Well, it's very deep and meaningful. It's actually anticipated to do so. Uh, it's something that if you're a part of it, you're not going to easily forget. Seeing an animal killed in front of you, cut in two, separated, blood on the ground, and representatives of the two entities entering into the agreement or the covenant, representatives then walking up and down between the pieces. Or in the instance of the covenant that was cut with Abram, okay, it was a, a blazing pot and a flaming torch, whereas Abraham was fast asleep. But the principle is that, generally speaking, representatives would pass up and down between the pieces and will recite words something like, may it happen to me as has happened to this animal if I break or violate this agreement, this treaty, this covenant. So you're not going to do that very lightly and you're not going to forget it very easily either unless you're a butcher or something like that. And of course, the idea of blessings and cursings, uh, these become something of the terms of the covenant, the terms of the agreement. Very much so, very much so. So there's already been, prior to this event of the cutting of the animal, prior to that, there's already been discussion between the two entities. Now let's say, for instance, if we look primarily at these ancient suzerainty treaties where we get a lot of this information from, but we see hints of it in the scripture, usually you have a greater entity. He's called the great king or the suzerain. And you have a lesser entity called the vassal or the servant. And usually it's the vassal that will go to the great king and would say, listen, I want to come under your protection. And then the great king would say, that is fine. However, if you come under my protection, you actually have to agree to live by the laws of my kingdom, my constitution. Are you willing to do so? And then he would actually explain what the laws of his kingdom are, his constitution, his Torah, so to speak. And then it was up to the, to the vassal, to the servant, to agree or not to agree. And if he agrees, then he actually has that responsibility by living according to those principles. And thereafter, if he does live by them, of course, he's going to be blessed. But if he doesn't live by them, there's going to be the opposite, which is the curses. And that was those principles are there in those ancient suzerainty treaties. It's also interesting to note that at the time when the lesser entity agrees to 
um, come under the submission of the greater king, the greater entity, the greater king will then say, right, now you actually have to revoke all other foreign allegiances because you cannot serve two masters, two kings, so to speak, two lords. So there is so much in those ancient treaties, etc., which gives us a, an insight into the principles of covenant that we see in, in, the, in the Bible and even coming through in our relationship with Jesus. Most Christians don't realize that we actually are in a legal binding agreement. A covenant is a legal binding agreement. And we have that surety of our faith that we are in a new covenant relationship with God through Jesus, who is the mediator between God and man. And um, uh, it's just absolutely profound to understand the, uh, profoundly important to understand the principles of the covenant in order to understand our own faith and um, relationship with Jesus. And so we'll continue our conversation in just a few moments, but what we'll talk about is how that covenant that was made with Abraham and as it has proceeded through uh, with the children of Israel, uh, that covenant is still in effect and God is still bound by the legalities of the covenant that he personally made with Israel as Israel is bound to God. And, of course, as this new covenant unfolds into the New Testament and there is a new humanity, uh, then there are some aspects of that covenant that are binding and we understand that those things are right for Christian believers today. We'll talk about those two streams in just a few moments, our special guest uh, talking through these issues in his new book, Kelvin Crombie, researcher and historian. His new book is called Israel, Jesus and Covenant. And there's a new DVD documentary, October 31, Destiny's Date. We're back with more in just a few moments. A wonderful opportunity today to get some insight into a tremendous biblical truth in a new book that's been released by researcher and historian Kelvin Crombie. His book is called Israel, Jesus and Covenant and a new DVD documentary called 31 October Destiny's Date and that's with a big question mark. Kelvin, as we continue this conversation in our last segment, I mentioned that there are two streams. God has a covenant with his people, the nation of Israel. And then we have a new covenant uh, with those who are followers, those who are believers on Jesus Christ. Let's talk about that first stream first. Why is it that the covenant hasn't just died out since the first century and it continues today? And how can you actually confirm that it has continued today? Well, the only way that the covenant is still in standing today is because it's reliant upon the word of God. God spoke the words, and those words were then sealed with an oath. And it's important for us as Christians to understand what an oath meant in biblical times, but also as Jesus understood an oath. Jesus was very clear about his understanding about, you know, don't swear at all, because, you know, whatever you stake, you are bound to live by it. And so when God cut the covenant with Abraham, first of all, there were those promises that he gave and which are recorded for us in Genesis 12, which were dependent upon Abraham leaving his homeland and going to the land of Canaan. Lots of wonderful promises of a nation, obviously the nation of Israel, of a land, the land of Canaan, and that all families on earth would be blessed through Abram. So those promises are then sealed with an oath. And in a sense... They're all together. It's a package deal. 
And one of the problems that you find in, in many of the leaders of the Christian churches today is that they believe that they can actually break the seal, take some of them out, chuck them on the ground and squash them and say they're no longer relevant and then reseal the package. Whereas, whereas there's just one promise that's now relevant, that all families on earth will be blessed through Abram. Okay, that's their, basically their way of thinking. You can't do that. Okay, that's just not the way scriptures actually uh, record for us the principles of the oath. I mean, there are times, for instance, and you'll see it in Daniel and Esther, that even the kings, once they had made a decree and sealed it with their signet ring, not even they could break their own signet ring, could break their own oath, could break their own words. They'd have to uh, write a new decree, if need be, which was the case of the, the king in the time of, uh, of Esther. And so the same with God. Once those covenants have been, and the, and the promises therein have been sealed with an oath, that's it. And it doesn't depend thereafter upon the behavior of the other party, which is Israel. God is still bound to keep his side of the bargain. They get a very clear example of this in the Sinai, where on several occasions, God had had enough of the nation of Israel, stubborn, stiff-necked, and he wanted to finish them off and start again with Moses. And it was Moses who had to remind God, God, you can't do that. You know, basically what he's saying is according to the principles of covenant, you've sealed an oath. You're stuck with us all collectively. And so God had to continue his purposes out through the nation, Moses and the rest. And so you have some wonderful examples all the way through Scripture how God is actually going to keep his side of the bargain. There's a wonderful psalm, Psalm 15, where basically it's God saying to David, these are the types of people who can come into my presence. And he gives these incredible attributes that a person needs to have in order to come into his presence. And then it says, he says, God says, he who swears, and in the Old Testament would say, he who swears an oath, and even if it hurts him, okay, he will continue on with it. In other words, he who swears an oath to his own detriment, uh, later he realizes he's made a mistake, but the person who will persevere with his word is the person that God wants to have in his, in his presence. So this is God speaking. So if he's requiring that of us, he has to set the example. And so one of the great, um, uh, what do you call it, um, confirmations we have that God is going to continue his covenant promises with the nation of Israel is the fact that despite their disobedience, he has not rejected them, which is a great confirmation for us because no Christian could ever say that they deserve to continually walk uh, with God, because we're always violating God's covenant. And Kelvin, as we bring that into the 21st century, you're talking about the modern nation uh, on the land that Israel is situated on. Uh, and that right. land is very important land. It's extremely important land, because you know, when we go back to the actual cutting of the covenant, if you look at the wording in Genesis 15, you'll see that God cut the covenant with Abraham only when Abraham asked for a sure sign that God was going to fulfill the promise of the land. And that's why God then cut the covenant with him. So for Christians to say today that the land of Israel is no longer significant with the coming of Jesus, um, that's absolute, um, excuse the expression, Tommy Rot, as far as I'm concerned, um, because it's a package deal. And once that covenant has been had been um, sealed with an oath that's it it's bound up 
Now, Kelvin, if God shows his faithfulness in that way of agreeing to and fulfilling his terms of the covenant when it comes to his people, the nation of Israel, what does that mean for Christians who have this new covenant, who are under this new covenant, uh, the uh, the wider uh, spreading out of uh, this blessing from God to all the nations, how significant is it to, to see that God has been faithful with one, uh, that he'll be faithful with this other covenant? Well, I think when we understand these principles of covenant, it's it's just uh, a fairly, um, it's the next step to see that he's going to re- remain faithful to us despite our failings. But one of the most important things about the new covenant, uh, Neil, I believe, is to understand it's about a relationship. The essence of the new covenant is all about a relationship. God's desire ever since Adam and Eve fell has always to be in that wonderful personal relationship with us, his created beings. And he has done that through Jesus. And the thing about a covenant is that it's two entities coming together and being one. And so at the point that we repent and realize that we are going the wrong way, we're in Adam, we want to turn around and we come to being in Jesus, that means we're actually coming into a covenant relationship with Jesus, the person of Jesus. The two shall become one. So thereafter, when God looks down from his throne, he doesn't see Neil, he doesn't see Kelvin, he sees Neil in Christ, as it would say, in covenant with Jesus the Messiah, and myself in covenant with his son, Jesus. And so that's a, that's a great um, comfort, I believe, to realize that when the Lord looks down, he just doesn't see us as we used to be when we were in Adam. He sees us as being in Christ, which means in covenant uh, with him. And this gives us uh, the assurance that we are in basically the, the shadow of his wings at all times. Um, it's important, very, very important, I think, for Christians to comprehend what this actually means. Everything that we have, the same as in a marriage. When we get married, the ideal is that everything that the husband has now belongs to the wife, and everything that the wife has belongs to the husband. So too in our new covenant relationship with Jesus. Everything I have becomes Jesus, belongs to him. Now, well, I've only got filthy rags, but everything that he has now comes to me. So all of his righteousness, his right standing before God, because he has actually taken the penalty of death for me, all that now belongs to me in this wonderful covenant relationship. God looks looks down upon us, and he sees us there as one in him. And Kelvin, this idea of sealing the covenant with an oath, uh, God's not likely to go back on his word, but just how significant is it, and how much of an assurance is that, Uh, to those who are followers of Christ, those who are believers, uh, as this oath that has been given uh, that that brings about this assurance? Uh, Well, I think it's tremendously important for us to understand that if we go through the Scriptures, I think, okay, there's a few places where you're sort of scratching your head thinking, what does this really mean? But I think if you go all the way through Scriptures, you'll always see that the Lord um, will remain faithful to the oath that he has sworn. And if he's done that through a long period of time, then it just sets a precedent. It it lays a principle. And so when it comes to us, we think that we have um, 
overshot the mark, you might say, that God is not going to um, continue to walk with us. We realize, no, 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 according to the, to the oath that's been sworn, um, if you look at the words of Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, for instance, when the new covenant was instituted, God says, I will, I will forgive your sins and your wickedness. I will remember no more. Uh, these are just tremendous, uh, ensuring to us that God will um, just maintain his faithfulness towards us. Well, a lot of the things we're talking about will no doubt be explained in more detail in Kelvin's new book. It's called Israel, Jesus and Covenant. There's a new DVD out too. It's a documentary. It's called 31 October, Destiny's Date, with a big question mark. Now, you can get a hold of Kelvin's new book, Israel, Jesus and Covenant, at Vision Store. You can also get a hold of it at Kurong, and you can also make contact and access some of the resources at heritageresources.com.au. Kelvin Crombie, we'll talk about your DVD on another day, but thanks so much for sharing your insights about your new book, Israel, Jesus and Covenant, today with us on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.